All right, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Backyard Banter podcast. Um, I'm Matt Harmon. You guys, if you didn't listen to the first episode, we had uh, Sigmund Bloom on to go the go to go over his story, his journey of uh, of of developing into the personality that we all know uh, in the football community today. And if you're new to the podcast in general, um, there's not a lot of football talk going on here. We'll we might talk on a little bit of some things, but really, what we're kind of trying to get from this podcast is we're going through people uh in the community and we're you know we're learning about how they got to where they are in order to help other people along their path along the goal of you know getting a job or finding a place somewhere in this industry so uh if if i hope that interests you guys and i think we've got a really really great guest on today um i had to start with sigmund bloom and right after that it, it's as josh norris said it, it's podcast law that after you get sigmund you you get matt waldman um so yeah uh, matt thanks for coming on the podcast today uh how, how's everything going with you man everything's going great it's a pleasure to do this it's it's this is a nice format and you know i got a chance to listen to to you and bloom and i felt like that I was I was really looking forward to coming onto this because I, I enjoyed seeing what Bloom did, you know. I mean, and, and it's kind of funny what you mentioned about, you know, Bloom and I. It does seem that way on these shows. I mean, I was kind of joking around on Twitter that Bloom and I, you know, are kind of like Dumbledore and Snape on the uh, on uh, on Harry Potter, maybe, you know. Yeah, I, I saw that picture, and obviously I'm a huge huge fan of Harry Potter um, and all that sort of stuff. And actually, just recently rewatched the last. Uh, movie with with Alex Gelhar here, my roommate, who who you know, um, and so that's interesting. I, what what just right off the top? How do how do you see that? Break that little break that analogy well, down for me. Well, well it's kind of like it's either that or like Bloom is either that or or then maybe Bloom is either Professor a combination of Professor X and Magneto. If you're like a like if yeah. you took both of them together, you'd have like the the really high minded. Um, you know, philosophical, optimistic personality with a bit of a revolutionary put in there of a bomb thrower that he is. So you have that. And while, you know, and probably an attitude, I'm probably a little more like Wolverine where I just want to be left alone and do my thing. <laughs> um, but, but he's kind of, you know, Bloom is, you know, he's such a good first guest because he's got this really full personality, you know, and he's this kind of semi-benevolent cult leader. I've always described him to be, yeah. you, know, he's, you know, he's inspirational. He's very determined to inject his positive outlook on the world. And we share a lot of similar beliefs about things that he mentioned, which was, you know, trusting your intuition, being kind to people, trying to motivate to do things in life without a love and passion and enjoyment and being aware of the impact that you have on other people and how you can have that impact um, that can also have an impact on you in return. But to me, the difference, I guess, is that he wants to create that revolution and appeal to people's imagination. While I think I just want like what a lot of people want too, which is ultimately the freedom to do your thing without hurting anybody. Um, so while my brother's on your show last week, you know, inspiring people about the broad strokes of, you know, being a public figure and, and as a writer and an analyst and a social media guy and fantasy sports, which I think is all fantastic stuff. Um, I think I'd like, I, I think I'm probably going to be more the guy who would focus on things as an individual, as a worker, um, as someone who's trying to figure out their lane and develop you know, their own voice, how to work at the craft and dealing with things like that are that are real, you know, that Bloom de deals with, too. But it's, you know, dealing with rejection, dealing with criticism, competition 
jealousy and envy and envy in the in in this space and the pressure to lose that voice and perspective as you're trying to cultivate you, you know who you are so that's kind of to, to me i mean that's kind of what i think i could see myself kind of talking about here a little bit more than what maybe bloom might yeah i you know i know you and i have talked a lot uh back and forth leading up to the show and i know that you have a lot of things that you're really excited to talk about and i'm excited to hear too you know i, I have you guys both come on i had would have had you guys both come on anyways even if it wasn't josh norris's podcast law uh just because i mean like i said in the last episode you know uh sigmund is like my like he's like my dad in the industry you know like he he you know he kind of found me and and you know like that like that cult leader like found me at a point that i've talked i talk about this sometimes we'll talk about it a little more as time goes on that you know really found me at like a low point in my life when i was trying to start my career out and then he you know fed me that positivity fed up like no you're good at this keep doing more you're good at this keep doing more and so yeah he's like that dad figure in the industry but you're like my you're like my you know wily old uncle and uh, so <laughs> and 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 we have a we have a different sort of dynamic that i i get along but well with both of you guys you guys are both you know i consider you both friends and everything so yeah this is it's a good sequence and i think that you are definitely going to offer a um a different sort of perspective but one that i think people really both need and want to hear so let's just jump right into it we'll get the first just first couple questions out of the way just so just tell everybody like how you first like fell in love with football to the point where you had that like that urge, that sickness to like, okay, I, I need to do more than just be a guy that watches this on Sunday. I think I was always sick with it. I always think I had the sickness probably to the point that I see pictures of me as a little, I've seen some old photo albums of me as a little, like a baby where like, or a little kid, like li literally clutching a football and a stuffed animal, like in one, one arm of football, and one arm of stuffed animal. So I think I was probably raised to enjoy football probably very early on. And I had that sickness a lot because I always like to play the game. I mean, I think honestly, if there's a heaven, I think that the first thing in my mind of what heaven would be about is if I actually got to play football every single day. That to me, that is, that is, I understand how professional athletes must feel to a very small extent, which is that they, you know, they're so used to playing in the fall that they can tell when the fall comes around. Like they joke that if I were in solitary confinement, I'd know when it's fall. Or if I go to a football game, I start sweating because I'm just like so hyped up and used to, you know, that period of time. And, and I, I've, I under, I've always understood I've had that passion for it. I used to skip school just to read about football players. I mean, I would literally go to the library the day before. I would get books on, like, football players like Gale Sayers and Dick Butkus and Red Grange and, like, the history of the game, like, second, third grade. And then I would pretend I was sick so I could stay home and just read the books. Um, you know, so I always had the sickness it w and I always watched the game. But I think that I never thought that it was ever going to amount to anything. Um, so I, you know, just went about my life doing other things. And by the time I was in probably my early 30s, I started to, you know, play fantasy football with a bunch of guys around my office. And, you know, this was around the time the Internet was starting to actually have mass appeal in the in the mid 90s. And yeah. <laughs> and so at that point, I started writing a little bit about fantasy football and I had been doing freelance work on in other areas while I was having this different career. And it all just kind of came together at that point where I realized that 
you know, I, I kind of had this realization that, that what I wanted to do was right and then do that full time. And one of the easiest ways to do that was to cultivate a passion that I've always had and never went away. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I think we all get to that point where it's, it's a, it's a, a passion is a great way to say it. Um, and even just another step, it's like, it really is like an obsession. Like you have to get this, you have to get this stuff out there. Um, and I think that's kind of the way you're describing there. So, um, you know, you've talked a, a couple of times now here about, you know, you're a writer's lane or you're, you're cultivating your craft and that sort of thing. And I think one of the most, you, you're probably somebody on Twitter, you know, in the community that, has really done that to a great degree with the RSP, the publication, and then the, the film rooms, and then the boiler rooms and everything. I mean, you definitely have uh, what we all joke about, a, you know, a hashtag brand or whatever. Um, so I know you want to talk about that a lot. Like, what, So what does that mean to you, like figuring out your own lane or, you know, cultivating that sort of, not just a persona, but more so like the work? Well, this might take a minute to explain, but I, but, but I mean, we have, a, we have as many minutes as you need. All right. Well, you know, I'll pre I'll, I'll kind of do a little preamble with this and say, depending on how famous, you know, Matt over here has gotten and he's, and he's getting pretty big over here is that, <laughs> you know, or how many of my, my crazy diehards decide to watch this. Um, the, there's a shot that this may reach, you know, hundreds or thousands of people over a period of time. And so it may entertain 50% of you who are probably listening to this show for any length of time. And, and of those 50%, I think probably half of you are probably going to actually try writing about football or fantasy football um, for some period of time. And I would probably say of that half, you know, you may, you, you know, that's what 12.5% of you, um, you know, will feel like I'm actually speaking directly to you at this level and that goes beyond curiosity and entertainment and probably i'm only speaking to really half of you who are doing this so if you're going to you know only a handful of you are really going to get some deep meaning out of what i'm going to tell you about with that and that's okay um you know i i if that happens i will have greatly underestimated the impact of anything that i'm going to tell you about today um and 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 the fact is i'm just thrilled if one person would come up to me and say hey i listened to this and this was really helpful and this is how um because it's it, it matters when one person gets truly impacted and not to get all bloomy on you about this but you know <laughs> if we all strive for that as a goal probably there would be a lot more constructive positivity in this world and i and i think that when it comes to figuring out your lane a lot of people evolve in a football writing career is learning about just as much what they are not as much as what they are. So a lot of people my age, I remember wanted to be the Bill Simmons of football writing when fantasy football started to have websites out. Um, and, you know, I experienced a lot reading page two in, in my 20s and 30s and loved the idea of, you know, intermingling pop culture and humor and sports and with you know that kind of everyman voice that bill simmons had and and i certainly started i would definitely say that my gut check columns and that i've been doing for 12 years a lot of that was influenced by guys like that or ralph wiley um and i and so i think eventually is that you realize that truly great work like that when you aspire to do something like that because i know a lot of people who say oh i want to write a column like so and so i would like to get into doing this and 
and what that really is is that people don't realize that this is really hard work um, if it's going to last for a period of time. And if you're inspired to say, I want to do something like this, you're probably looking at it if you've never written before and going, this, this just, they make it look easy. They make it look fun. They make it look, you, you know, this this doesn't even look like work. And if and if that's what's going on when you have a lot of people aspiring to be like Bill Simmons, then you get the understanding of, you know, how good that work often was. Um, but I think that when it comes to figuring out your lane, Matt, I mean, you, I think learning what you do well and what you don't do well, and that comes through trying and failing. I think that's probably the most important thing is learning to fail and persist. And that's the secret to probably anything that you do in life. Uh, and if you don't have the love for what you're doing um, to, to be able to fail and persist like this, then you're not going to be in the right space. So right away, if you're, you, you know, this is kind of the dirt, the shit, the rain of, that really fertilizes any good work that you do anywhere. And, the, and only the idea that you have is a seed. Everyone has ideas, but you got to bring that fertilizer with you. And, and and that's the thing that it doesn't grow without that kind of toil. So, you, you know, that part of some of the lanes that we see in our industry, you know, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I think some people are going to be best suited to news writing. You know, it's it's a formulaic type of process. It's about cultivating sources, though. It's about writing on a deadline. It's about counting on others to deliver good analysis. And if you want to be good at this, you need to cultivate relationships with people who are the experts. And sometimes those experts are, are not your, you know, especially when you're getting started. If you want to be more of a reporter, a beat writer, a news writer, cultivating sources and always saying, well, I can't get Lance Zerline. I can't get... Jerem, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, you know, but you can find people on Twitter who offer really cogent analysis that you can use and cultivate those relationships, especially younger people coming up because Lance Zerline and Daniel Jeremiah weren't always on NFL Network. So you weren't always on NFL Network. So it's yeah. like being able to cultivate folks and just say, hey, look, I don't need to find corporate media people to get these great gets and deliver the information you need. And at some point, you know, that gives you an opportunity to write things with nuance. Um, you know, having that Mike Mayak, Greg Cosell point of view is great, but maybe you want to be able to do something that goes into le a little bit more depth or the likes of the lesser known and get a quality guy like James Light or Emery Hunt and developing relationships with people like that who are going to give you a different point of view that is good that and learning how to craft those types of point of view into articles that don't go on too long and the more you cultivate that over time the more valuable you're going to get as a writer and you're going to get better at those things and it's the same thing with some of the other things you know some of you are going to be good editors you know you and and being an editor is definitely more than spotting grammar and correcting punctuation it's going to be about you know it's part of your tool bag but you need to bridge the gap between what a writer wants and how the reader wants to hear it. And I think the tools of language help an editor do that fundamental work, but it's not as important as just spotting ways to tweak or reformat structures that help the writer 
say what they really wanted to say or have the effect that they really intended. And you have to have a good feel for story to do that kind of thing. And you have to have skill at negotiating productively with writers to do that. It's not just going, here's my errors and here's how I corrected it. You know, you're not really helping the, you're not being an advocate for the writer in the way that you possibly can be. And so most of you probably won't be editors, but those of you who do, you know, it's about, again, developing the ability to work and relate to other people and do that. You know, some of you are going to be analysts. Matt, you're a perfect example of an analyst. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, you and me probably are very much more anal analysts by nature in a lot of respects. Um, and, and we're, you know, you, if you like data and you like data that can be hard numbers or information you parse, you're an analyst. You know, whether in Chase Stewart is one of my favorite analysts, you know, out there with hard data as a football guy and you know if you're an analyst you got to learn how to frame your work so you're not trying to offer cure-alls to your reader you know you want to be able to appeal to certain sites you, you, you know you want basically come up with writers searching for clicks to grow their brand you, you know you you want to do things that i guess what i'm saying is that you you cure-alls kind of end up being more of clickbait type of stuff when you do that. And that I understand why people do that. But over time, what you really want to do is just offer tight writing that communicates things in a vibe that doesn't seem snake oil-like. It seems more like, hey, look, here's what I'm offering. Here's how it can help. Here's where it applies. But I'm not going way over bounds with some of that. And I think Chris Brown is a good example of an X and O's guy or Matt Bowen, who is an analyst, you know, so the work can be very technical, but you don't want it to stay too dry. So you want to be, have clarity. Um, you know, I think a lot of analysts are like guys who analyze people, news and events, you know, it's just breaking down what they heard in the news and giving their take. Sometimes that's more of anything being a editorial type of writer, you know, so these are different lanes where, you know, critical thinking is important. Um, you know, and I would say maybe even a few of you, you know, a few of you unlucky bastards are probably feature writers, and, you know, and I would say if you're one of them, then you obviously know how to tell a story. You have a great gift for language, probably. You probably understand rhythm and context, and you probably have a really feel for weaving disparate subjects around into cogent ideas. And and you probably have a good idea of how to carry a variety of voices through a narrative too. And, and you're going to have the ability to ask the right questions too, and also cultivate sources. So you have a little bit of reporter in you, you have a little, a little bit of an analyst, you have an editor's idea for story and you can take, you know, a ton of material and condense it into a, a long form story that carries people to want to actually read through it. Um, and more than anything, probably, and I know this as a feature writer, you have a gift for persisting through long periods of staring at blank screens. Um, <laughs> so if you have that kind of passion and persistence and grit to do it day after day until you craft something that's probably worthwhile to keep um, and, and maintain a difficult pace under a pet deadline, then I'm probably talking to at least one of these listeners. So these are some of the lanes that I think exist in our industry that we don't talk about you know, and really break down what they are. And I think that for someone who's really interested in doing this, you sometimes have to say, what is out there and how does this all work? And what is it that I need to recognize in myself 
to consider down some of these paths. Yeah, I think that was that was a lot of a lot of good options there, and I think things that we've all been presented with. And and I think one of the things you said right off the bat that was that really resonated with me, and it's something that I always tell people when I have these conversations, that asking me, you know, like how do I get started? I always say, just for one, just just start writing and try your hand at multiple different things. Because like when I first started out, I I did a lot of like you can actually probably still find a lot of it on on Backyard Banter uh, about you know, like I did power rankings and like weekly recaps of games and stuff like like stuff. I don't like things I don't do at all now that I'm not known for, you know, for, for that sort of work. And I think one of the good examples is like, I consider like you, you've, you've met me in person. Some people in this uh, in, that are listening have, have interacted with me a lot. I would consider myself like a fun person to be around. Like I, I, there's some, I, I would say I have a pretty good sense of humor without trying to be without trying to be more cocky than usual um <laughs> but uh but i'm not funny at all like in my writing i don't think i have like i don't think i have the ability to convey humor so that's one thing i tried to do early and failed at um and then realized like okay that's not that's not my lane so that's somebody else's like style but my style is not that uh was there anything like you talked about like getting rejected and things like that and we'll, we'll expand maybe more on that a little bit but was there anything that you like tried early on and realized like ah, this is just not who I am? Yeah, and I needed Chase Stewart to tell me that. Basically, I mean, it was kind of funny. I early on with fantasy football, I did a lot of articles that I I still see to this day with with other sites that are more like um, how would I best put it? They take a piece of they take a data point and try to reverse engineer a lot of information to come up with some sort of um, solution to that off, that they offer readers um, so they can say, hey, you know, third year wide receiver theory, let's take a look at this many receptions, this many yards, this many scores. And I looked at all this information and I came up with some really good names here. So let's look at some guys who that year before hit these data points and let's look at them as candidates. Or I had something called a consistency ranking, which I thought was, you know, which I called the crank score for short. Um, and it was very popular, but, it, you know, where it went and I thought it went well was it just showed by percentages how consistently certain positions hit benchmarks of fantasy points every week. And then I could show you how consistent they were during that season. But where I overstepped my bounds as a writer and analyst in that regard was I then tried to, to make it predictive because that's what everybody wanted is they wanted something yeah. predictive. So then you're like, well, let me try and make that work and see if I can do that without really paying attention to the tenets of what good statistical analysis is. And so at that point, I remember coming to football guys and writing football guys and my crank score was a fairly popular part of some of the columns I did. And I remember Chase just saying, writing me very nice email and just saying, you know, I, giving me good criticism about those points. And, you know, within about six months of, you know, after that, I mean, I didn't do a lot of writing. I did my crank score articles as scheduled and just kind of did them up. Um, but the next year, I believe, it was either next year or the year after, I just abandoned it completely because I realized that he was right about what he was criticizing. And while I could have just continued doing consistency scores the way that I did and just leave it at that, I, I just found that it wasn't as interesting to me because all it did was show 
I, all I could do was ask more questions that I couldn't find really good answers to um, or that I didn't find as interesting to explore and I may not have had really that statistical background to do as good of a job of exploring it as someone like Chase might have or Doug Drennan, you know, or someone along those lines. So I found that learning to tighten my window was important and getting and some and getting criticism like that constructively by someone um, it can be very helpful in that regard. So yeah, certainly those are those are things that I did that may have been successful in the eyes of readers who liked them and for years after when I missed the crank scores and I would just I just write and say I'm not doing them anymore and here's why, you know, and I'd rather just tell them the truth <laughs> than be yeah. like, yeah, you know. So Yeah, no, that's that's so funny. Two things that I think are are great about that one there's there's a writer for rotoviz i think his name is ben gretch i might be completely butchering it but um i remember i saw somebody like retweet a thing he said about essentially i'm i'm, I'm uh paraphrasing here but like for a group of analysts that work with uh that work exclusively with statistics and, and numbers and data there's a lot of people that or there's a lot like nobody like just breaks all the laws of statistics like fantasy football analysts like yeah like it's which is really funny i mean because i mean we're working with what we have but yeah there's a lot there's a lot of bad like like things that if yeah. you tried to do in like a in like a legitimate statistics like environment that you'd get you'd get laughed at but anyways my, that's my a different brother, you know my brother has a master's in statistics you know i certainly yeah. understand you know there are certain things that i realize that it's good to you know at certain points you bump you bump across lanes someone honks at you and you either get into the lane the right way and figure out how to drive a little bit better or you say you know what that's not my area and i start at the same time i was doing a lot more my lane was a little bit more about processes mm -hmm. in certain ways that weren't statistically oriented on the level of you know that some people do um but they were more about best practices and and monitoring performance in a way that um made more sense and that was more info oriented than data oriented and that just kind of naturally allowed me to be veer back in this lane and go you know what this road's good for me yeah that's it's so funny your your story is your story there is is very much like kind of illustrating that point of like sometimes you you try something you think this is your thing and then you realize like the longer you do it or or other people that you trust um tell you that it that this might not be the best thing that you have those moments and it's funny just because that's not what i would associate with you at all like no. from what i from my perspective of matt waldman the analyst like that sort of work would never be exactly what what i would assume so that's but really I did, uh, I did tons of it i had databases full of years of stuff that yeah i still have from like back to 1920 looking at all sorts of data from football and, and doing things and I still use some of that but the point of the matter is is that sure when someone says to you hey I don't think this works I don't think this is something that's going to be worthwhile for you or that it's that actually makes the type of sense you're selling something that probably isn't really worth selling <laughs> you know that's what Chase was really saying to me nicely um, you know at first I mean I'll be honest the first time I read that I was like who the hell is Chase Stewart <laughs> like you know like i was reading and going who is this guy i don't know chase he's just he's he's another writer of football guys never really talked to him he was really nice about it but i'm like really you know but the more i i kept that internal you know because it's my first reaction and we're all human and i just thought okay whatever you know this has been really popular and i started looking at it and thinking yeah but popular doesn't necessarily make it 
good doesn't necessarily make it right and what do i want to be do i want it do i want to be do i want to be on the right track that i feel is truer or do i want to just be popular and people to have the illusion of that and i and the answer ultimately within you know a couple hours of thinking about that what chase was like yeah i would I would probably rather just do it the right way ultimately. And so I know I'm going to, I promise doing these, I'll continue to do these and push these out and I'll do it in a way that's, you know, kind of a little bit more qualifying about how I state stuff and then um, move forward and, and, and find a different path, you know, with that. And I think that's the thing you got to understand is that in your, in your early twenties or your late twenties or your, early 30s or whatever age you are your early career in as a writer especially as an analyst it's okay to be wrong it's okay for it not to work out it's okay to question yourself with stuff i question stuff all the time what i do and try and figure out ways to do it better and sometimes it means not doing it at all yeah i think that's a great point um so moving on a little bit well it's kind of still talking about fit um what advice do you have for general like people that want to write about football regardless of of lanes and fits i man i think the first thing that you probably want to do and it's and it has nothing to do with the nuts and bolts of the game but it's just embrace life and develop passions away from the game it's just like when you hear people talk about the the best football players didn't just play football all their lives they played other sports too and i and i think that if you have the lack of ability to bond with other people as a writer then the only thing you know and the only thing you know about is football you're going to risk coming across as socially awkward um, and the only thing you, you know, you're going to end up looking backwards or unintentionally insult people because you've lived in a cave too long looking at football all the time. And you can wind up doing things like, oh, I don't know, insulting people's love of women's sports or, you know, social issues or, you know, actually <laughs> impacting your world that in a way that you've totally ignored them and you you don't have a good idea of how to actually relate to the rest of the world. And, and these, the rest of the world are your readers because they are not living in a cave watching football. They've got kids, they've got spouses, they've got girlfriends. Sometimes they got both. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes they have all sorts of crazy things going on. Um, but they have, they're living a full life, you know, right, wrong, indifferent, however you judge them, don't judge them. You, you know, you need to understand that there's a very interesting diverse world out there and you want to be inclusive of that world um you know and remember that the best you know that really you got to ought to do that you got to read good work you have to read if you if you don't and you have to want to develop as a writer if you think well a lot of football writers aren't all that great writers so i don't really need to go that far to do that that's the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard. Okay. And I, and I understand that some people may think that, um, but if you just want to just, if you just want to stagnate as a human being, if you just want to stagnate in your job, um, then by all means go do that. But in a highly competitive arena like this, where it, the, the pay isn't like unbelievable, it's either really great or there's a very few people in the middle and then there's a lot of people who are making $50 an article at best, at best for that type of a, uh, of environment, you better be passionate about what you do. I remember wanting to be a journalist and I remember the, or deciding that I would go into journalism. I didn't want to be a journalist at first and I went to school and I, 
And I remember going to the newspaper, the University of Georgia, and saying, I'd like to write for the newspaper. And I had just learned how to type two months ago. I mean, I was a musician before this. I was like, oh, I knew how to play the saxophone. I can sure learn how to type in a couple of months. So I got a book and learned how to do that. And I sat and went to the school and, you know, talked to a couple of professors and asked for some advice, went to the student newspaper. They were like, well, you know, we don't, we don't hire anybody for the newspaper. You have to prove yourself. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Okay, whatever. And then like, you know, my first article ended up on the front page. Then my second article ended up, um, doing really well and within um, two weeks i was a paid um, staff writer covering the bulldogs football team practices um, alongside beat writers who were writing for the ajc and for other things and i had this writer for sports illustrated who was critiquing the newspaper as a whole pull me aside and tell me everything i wanted to hear as a musician that i never heard as a musician and it kind of pissed me off because i wasn't ready for to really hear all that. I was still mourning the fact that I wasn't going to be a musician. And this was just some sort of second tier thing for me at the time. And I remember going to a party with a friend of mine who was an editor at the, um, at the Atlanta journal constitution right now. And we went to a paper and we went to a party and there was a paper in town that closed and he was all lamenting the fact that this paper was closing and I could care less. Like I, I didn't care at all. I didn't understand the connotation as to why that was important. Why, you know, and I remember him just being so passionate about it. And I thought I'm in the wrong fucking thing. Cause this is not, this is not anything that interests me. Um, but the point of the matter is, is that eventually it did over time writing interest me and feature writing interests me more than newspaper writing. It's a very different thing in most regards. There's a little bit of an overlap, but I'm a magazine features writer by trade, but reading good work, regardless of what it is, is important. And I would recommend people to go to something like the Neiman storyboard. Um, and that's a website that features a, 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 like a series called why this is so good or why this is good and the stories from all different genres, sports writing, whatever that is analyzed by trained professionals. So I would recommend doing that and just reading every day, what, whatever it is that really just turns you on, whether it's science fiction, whether it's magazine articles, whether it's religious stuff, whether it's historical fiction, whether it's romance novels, I don't care, man. You just re need to read what it is that you like and it'll help you go in the direction that you need to go and you need to cultivate that and the same and then there's things that you got to do that you may not like all that much like i don't know getting better at grammar and punctuation on a regular basis doesn't mean that you're going to have to you don't have to be perfect at it you don't have to be david foster wallace and be so nerdishly into it at the level that he was that you know that he's part of that one percent that's driven crazy about things in a way that you know, people who, when you bite down on a fork when you're eating, that some people like cringe and get the get the shivers when some, you know, at a comma splice. I mean, seriously, that's, you know, some of you may be that way, but all you need to do is continually develop your knowledge with that. Um, and I think that if you actually just read and look up, you know, another thing would be vocabulary. Continue to get better with your vocabulary. But if you're reading and you're looking up words in a dictionary that you don't know, then you're going to continuously get, you know, get better at that. Um, about the game, though, you, you want to learn about the game. You, you obviously in this, you, you know, you don't want to be that corporate wonk, though. Okay, you know those corporate wonks that you work with who use paradigm shift and alignment and and all sorts of big buzzwords that come out yeah. and don't say a damn thing about it. You know, listen, I, I don't, 
I don't want to listen to a football writer who's using football jargon that he farts out of his mouth. Okay. I just, you you know, there completely agree. Yeah. You can be knowledgeable about X and O's you and, and figure out a way to, to be able to explain what's going on. And sometimes there are people who hide behind X and O's and can't evaluate worth a damn. They, they, you know, it's really about, well, he was in this and they did this and this is how they did this. And they did it. And I'm like, okay, so is he good or is he not good? Right. You know, he completed a task. Whoopee. He completed a task. Yay. All right. So what does that mean about the, the sum of all these tasks he's completing, whether or not he's good enough? Um, so I think that sometimes they're either hiding behind that knowledge or they just don't see the forest through the trees. Um, so you don't have to be an expert at every facet of football because I've certainly seen X and O's guys who are on the space who are some of the best who I don't think have a good eye for talent when it comes to certain positions or certain aspects of what they see because they get so enamored in the coming trend of you know spread offenses and how spread quarterbacks do that it ends up they end up overanalyzing the scheme and conflating it with what actually the player's doing. So again, there's that. And I would say be ambitious. You need to be ambitious with the stories that you write. Like you need to be able to look at that next piece and think that's going to be the best thing that I write. That is going to be the best thing that I have done. And I'm listen, I do this as a feature writer, not on my blogs. My blogs is late night writing. I still try and make it the best it can be, but the conditions are a little different. It's kind of like slogging through sand um, that's up to my hips sometimes because I'm kind of tired. But I would say that as a, you know, as a feature writer, I often tell my editor who happens to be that Sports Illustrated guy that I told you way back when in that story, you know, I used to say to him, I want you to read this and not want to be, not want to change a thing. And he's like, I love your ambition, even though it is completely unrealistic, you know? And, and it was something that I've always tried to do. I've just, you try, you need to stretch your limitations. And when you're ambitious and you stretch your limitations, you're going to fail. And then again, when you fail, that's that fail and persistence, that toil to growing. And you got to be able to, be able to face that so you should know enough to recognize to know you know really that it's okay that this is something you want to do because when you're you're not going to enjoy failing you're not going to enjoy staring at a screen and being ambitious and trying really hard and feeling like you're settling and that nothing's ever quite as good as you wanted it to be but still but if you are still fulfilled with that process and doing the work you're in the right spot if you find that this isn't good, this doesn't feel good for you, this isn't what you want to do on a regular basis, you don't have the ambition to make your, you know, your 500-word piece the best it can be. You don't have the ambition to seek out that extra source. You don't have the ambition to co- cultivate those things. You don't have the ambition to figure out how to shape a story. Then you're in the wrong place, and that's okay. Go find something else that turns you on in a way that is going to work out. And I would say just more, most important um work you need to work so many people talk so many people just talk and they don't work you know and you need it sometimes that means you need to shut down every distraction you got to focus you've got to get comfortable with the feeling that your reach exceeds your grasp every single day as a writer and you have to resist giving in and accepting the fact as long as possible that while you're writing something you, you, that you've that you that you can get to something a little bit more and i think that 
um, you got to experiment with different options of doing things and you're going to have to get comfortable with the silence of everything that isn't going on in your mind. So I would say if you, if you can work and, and be willing to be in your own space, you know, you're going to be okay. Even as you see on Twitter or on the internet that there's something new from everyone every day and there's cool things going on and some new news came out. If you really make something good, you're going to be awesome. And I'm going to give you one example. I'm going to be done with this is I remember watching comedy. Um, like what HBO used to do that comic relief like way back in the day, like probably well, before, you know, but there was, there was a story. And if you're my age, you remember the John Wayne Bobbitt story where he was this abusive guy who basically his wife cut off his penis. Okay. And she cut off his penis and it was this huge story and people made light of a lot of the aspects of it. And so there were John Wayne Bobbitt jokes all throughout comic relief. And this thing would last for hours and hours. So every stand up comedian who was famous was doing them and they were getting old and they were getting stale okay some of them were just thrown out there it was almost like thrown out there like hey i can get a cheap laugh by talking about this so i remember that robin williams got up last he was one of the co-show hosts and robin williams got up last and he did john wayne baba jokes but his jokes were so much better than everyone else's and you could tell that he crafted the time, the effort, and stayed in his lane about what he was about. Robin Williams always had these manic, crazy ideas that you would never have thought of that came from outer space. And his ideas were all based on the fact that he was the penis. That was his, like, his whole joke was centered around that he was the penis that got cut off and thrown out on the street. Um, and he was, like, running around trying to find his body. And it was the funniest thing out of all of the jokes. And he was the last. And that always taught, that's something I always remember when I think about writing and trying not to keep up with other people, which is if you do it well and you really craft this to the vision that you have, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing or how long it took for you to do it. If you're not doing something on a deadline and you're just trying to do it creatively um, and, and do it well. You, you, that was so much, so much good information there. I think that people need to hear, um, and and definitely, re definitely resonated with me. There's a lot I want to circle back on, but um, I don't know. I don't know that I can. It was. It was I think you said it really well. Uh, one thing I think was great was just the uh, the work aspect of it. Like you got to put the time in. You got to work hard, and 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 that's not easy. And it's it's something that I think a lot of people don't understand when they come like when they come to to you or i or anybody else and they ask like i want to do what you do it's like i don't know that you do and i know i want to i want to have some people on like like eric stoner i want to have him on at some point so he can talk about kind of that process of realizing like i don't know if this is what i want to be you know uh, and that sort of burnt like that burnout aspect because it's easy to get it's easy to get burnt out it's easy to to realize like I'm putting a ton of time into this, like you mentioned, maybe for not a lot of pay, depending on where you are. And it's hard to, to not get discouraged by that. And it's okay if that, like you said, it's okay if that's not what you want. If, if, you, if, if you just get into it and you realize that, that this isn't a thing, like this isn't a thing for you, then that's okay. At least you, you tried and you found out. But yeah. that's going to happen to more people. I think, I think that's the thing that, that I know you, that I think I know you really wanted to kind of highlight is that this is not, 
It's not not for everybody. No, it's not for everybody. And that's okay. I mean, I, I remember thinking I used to, in my day job, I remember, you know, as I started to get more into management in my day job, in my first career, in my twenties, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I just kind of hung around the university and I had some things to just kind of, kind of do. I mean, I was always a good student. I had I had always done well academically. I'd always been involved in the community. I'd been one of those. I was one of those guys. I know I don't look like it right now and I probably don't act like it anymore at all, but I was one of those guys that your that, you know, your parent, that your daughters, the the daughter's parents would have been glad that she brought home. Like, you know, (laughs) which is completely opposite of what I seem like right now. But I was that guy. I was, you know, I didn't, I was scared to make mistakes. I was a people pleaser. I was a, I was very much a perfectionist and about trying to make things look a certain way and, and do things the way people expected me to do them. And then I went to music school. And that kind of blew everybody's kind of mind of what that was of me. And it blew my own mind because I faced a lot of, um, I faced a lot of resistance about that in, in a lot of ways in my personal life um, and had to, and then I, the aftermath of that was learning to kind of be who I needed to be, like who I really was inside. And I needed time to explore that. But I remember being a manager and, you know, I was being, a, I was a manager where I'd worked my way through a company part time and ended up in a corporate level job with a company that had about 50 branches and what they did a little more than that over a period of years. And I'd had people come to me and go, man, you're still doing this. I never would have thought you'd still be in Athens. You're like the last person I thought would still be in Athens. You're the last person I thought would still be doing X, Y, and Z. And I'd see people that I worked with who were like living this certain life and it was a good life. It's what most people live, you know, you know, found someone that they wanted to have a relationship with, got married, had kids, bought a house, bought a couple cars, worked nine to five, did the, went to the bar, went to the club, went to, went out and did lots of cool things. And just, that was part of their, that, you know, they just lived that lifestyle. They were a worker during the week. They were a consumer on the weekends and on weeknights. And that was it, you know, and I, it just was empty to me. It was just empty. I was miserable doing that. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I realized that at some point that, that really, you know, that I had to write, like I was doing some writing and I was just scared shitless about the idea of doing it. I look, I wrote poetry for a while. I actually like sent them off to literary journals. I still have like some of the rejection slips. And I remember people saying, you know, if you got rejection slips from literary magazines that actually had writing on it, then you were on, this was somebody trying to establish a relationship with you and you could have a relationship with an editor that would eventually maybe get you into some of these. And I, you know, I got some of those. I mean, some, from some, some, from some decent pieces uh, or decent journals. And I thought, hmm, maybe I want to do this. And then I would put it away and I'd be paralyzed with fear about really doing it. And then I'd do some writing and people tell me it was good and I'd put it away. And at some point, I was one of those foolish people, you know, who couldn't see myself clearly enough that got, I had to go down a very long road to the point where I was like, I have to do this or I'm going to die inside. Like I, it was for me, I remember getting to a point where I was like, look, man, um, I can't go into work today. And I've always been a worker and going, I can't go into work today. Cause if I do, I'm going to physically get ill. 
and, and going home and just being like, I've got to get out of this job. Like I've got to get out of this some, some way, somehow and do this and do this work. And I think that that's the thing is that you don't, you have to have that kind of passion. You've got to want to die for it. You know, and I know that sounds crazy and sounds over the top, but I'm telling you, there was a period of time when I first started really seriously doing this that I was like, okay, I can either pay the electric bill um, or I can have groceries, but I can't have both. It would be sure nice if I could get a freelance gig sometime in the next couple of days um, for me to be able to do one or the other. And I was in my mid-30s doing this because I had taken a huge pay cut to go and pursue this type of thing. Well, and, and I was writing fantasy articles. The RSP, I could, I could probably buy a really junky used car off of what I was making on it for that, at least at that one point, you know, that's about it. And, and lo and behold, I had someone call me up and go, you know, uh, someone I did work for and said, Hey, I, uh, I, I need someone to get this copywriting gig done for me in like an hour. Can you do some copy for me? I will pay double the rate if you can do it in the next couple of hours. You know, I'd sure appreciate that. And I was like, you know, that's that synchronicity for you. Sometimes you're, as Bloom would say, you know, you go down the right path and things open up for you. I called for it and it was happening, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy having a computer, doing a lot of this work, writing on a computer that took 45 minutes to turn on, you mm -hmm. know, but having someone like Mike McGregor in my life who worked at football FF today and who does, who did fantasy throwdown for a while, he and I worked together on and, you know, Mike, Mike actually bought me a computer during that period of time so that I could continue writing because he valued the work that I was doing at FF today with, with the gut check. So those are the types of things that we don't talk about a lot, but I got to tell you, I mean, you know, this, you know, I, I my situation's different now, um, but I I got to tell you, I still work like you know the lights might be going off, yeah. and and I and I feel that way. It's not because I try to adopt that attitude. It's because that attitude probably happened, and you and you feel that kind of need to have to 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 do that. And I can't. You can't teach people that. You either live it and feel it that way, or you don't. And if you don't, then you got to find something that you feel that way about without having to go through those extremes, but you know, you feel it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And like the, like you mentioned the passion and the love for writing and to be, to be a good writer. That was something you mentioned earlier too, is, is really important. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I kind of feel that we're similar in that way that like, I love, like, I, I would say that for me, maybe not for you, but like I fell in love with writing just as hard as I fell in love with football. Like if I wasn't writing about football, I'd be writing about something. So what, you know, when people say like, gosh, you must put like, you must, you must put a lot of work into this. Like you must put a lot of time. It's like, to me, that's just, that's who I am. That is, that is, that's just a part of my life. Like, I'm like, yeah, well, of course I do. Like what, what the hell else am I supposed to do with my time? Yeah. And like I, you talk about pursuing other passions and things like that. That is like, I, sometimes I get so like my break from writing about football because some, because especially in season, you know, you, you feel like on the kind of that weekly shot clock of like, all right, I got to get this stuff out and this stuff out. Like, 
you know, I got to pick like 10 sleepers this week. I could care less about these. Like I, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing and you're writing that sort of stuff. Sometimes I'll write my break from writing about football is writing about other stuff. And I have a few like kind of side projects going on that I may or may not ever publish or anything. But like for me, I just love to write. And I think that you have to, that that's underrated. I think some people look at like writing as a means to an end yeah. when I think the, like, like I want to talk about football the best way, the easiest way to do it is to write about it. So I'll just, I'll try to be well, a writer. Emery Hunt is a great example. If you ask him, he's like, I don't like writing, but man, yeah. does he make some great videos. Man, yeah, does he do some great commentary. You, you know, you go for, check out, check out football game plan. He takes that ability to speak and to analyze through the spoken word and do, does an unbelievable job. And, and when it comes to writing, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I just didn't want to do journalism. I didn't want to yeah. be a beat writer. I didn't want oh, to write. I mean, I would, that would be the worst. That would be the worst. I, that, that, that's just not my thing. I know people who do that very well and yeah. are great at it, and it's such a great resource to have. I want to write fiction. I'm eventually going to write fiction. You know, that's, the, that's kind of the path is where I'm heading you know, as an individual is that eventually I'm going to end up writing fiction. Um, and that'll be a bridge between what I'm doing now. You know, I'm, I'll still probably always be writing about football cause I love it, but I know that I'm, whether it's sell, whether one person reads it or no one reads it other than me, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. And, and you got to love, you yeah. definitely got to love about writing. And the, um, the thing is, is that when I look at, you know, you talk about breaks, you know, that's an important thing too. It's just, you know, you talk about, about the process of writing and staring at a blank screen and all of that. Sometimes too, you have to understand that it's like, you got to understand your style. Are you someone that's like, you, you, you need to procrastinate a little bit before you get your work done? Do you need to, do, do you need to like do something active, like clean your room or do some laundry or things like that? There are, there are things that are associated with kind of getting into that space to write and you have to accept what that is. I mean, for me, every time before I sit down and write, I play a bet game of backgammon online. I pretty much do. Yeah. I mean, it's just something that gets me kind of into my zone of relaxing and kind of doing what I do. Um, and taking breaks is important. Being able to sometimes that procrastination is needed when you're writing. You know, if you feel like you're stuck and you're not like, you know, you're not getting down what you need to do, you know, what people don't understand is if you come from a world like accounting or sales or manufacturing, you have this process that's very linear. It's very just like one after the other. We need to have this many per hour, this many per day, this type of thing. I don't subscribe to that whole you need to have you know, 500 words a day. That's a nice little thing to say, um, you know, that you may read in a book somewhere. But the more important thing is probably you, that may be good training wheels to it. But eventually I more subscribe to what Charles Bukowski would say, which is I would tell my wife that I was writing. I'd be upstairs in my attic. If I'm playing with a Rubik's Cube or I'm picking my nose or I'm building, you know, building paperclip houses or I'm bouncing a ball up against the wall. And my wife goes, what are you doing? I'm going to say I'm writing because that unconscious process, that subconscious process going underneath of you trying to take all this disparate information, and put it together. It's all happening. It's all baking up there, you know, and it takes some time for all of that to actually foment in a way that you're going to be able to write down and put something in writing. And it may mean that you may spend three hours staring at a screen and being really pissed off and feeling like that nothing's coming out, 
or whatever you type out, you spend, you know, I still spend a lot of times with some of the things that I do, I'll still spend three hours on a paragraph writing a paragraph over and over again. And I don't like it, you know, with certain ideas, especially when it's feature stories and I'm taking 50 pages of interviews and trying to distill it down to three pages. You yeah. look at all the information and you're like, dude, how do I even start this? And it takes your mind to do that. And eventually, you know, you may be walking somewhere to lunch or you may be sitting there and after like eight hours of looking at that, you finally, it all just flows out in a way where you may, it all may flow out for you. And sometimes it all flows out because you're pissed off. Sometimes maybe you need to get pissed off to write. Sometimes you need, you know, everyone has a different process with that. And I think that, you know, I love writing. I certainly want to do that. And I think that sometimes too, you got to understand that loving writing is sometimes hating the process of writing and accepting the fact that some of those things have to be involved. And we don't talk about it enough. I talk about it with some of my co-writers at our magazine and, and they're like, we never talk about this stuff. And I'm glad to hear that you do that because I look at some of your stuff and I'm like, how did he write that? And I'm going the same way you did. I got, you know, I sat there for six hours thinking that I'm the, that I can't write anymore. And this is the worst thing in the world. And all these people are pumping out content and I must be the most inept writer in, in the history of the planet. And, you know, and we all go through those insecurities and you just have to have perspective and eventually persist enough to remind yourself that we all put our pants on the same way um, for the most part and, and just do the, you, you know, and just understand it. It's okay. Yeah. It's sucking right now. It's going to suck. It's going to keep sucking. And, and eventually I'm going to be okay with it. And that's, that's basically the deal. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's a really good point. Just the, the process of writing can be a real chore. And, and, you know, sometimes I have my best, I'd like best, my, my best ideas or whatever, like come when I'm not trying to write, you know, like when I'm out walking the dog or I'm at the gym or some, some will hit me and I'll be like, I, I got to remember that later. And then I got to, and then like, all right, I got to get home and like, now I've got it. Now I've got it. You know, I, I tried to tried to like brainstorm. I don't know about you. I'm not like I've I hated like writing in school when they'd be like, first you have to brainstorm, then you have to create an outline. I never create like unless it was, you know, required, which I think is bullshit in general. Like you have to turn it in an outline. I never wrote outlines to write. Yeah. I still don't like ever have that shit like laid out yeah and a lot of people don't and it's and school unfortunately teaches the teaches you oftentimes to hate outlines and it's so funny that you brought it up because i don't outline usually either now when i do longer features sometimes i do and i remember you know saying you know getting stuck with certain things because you know if you're going to write a feature about you know, some guy who's basically on the Supreme Court of Accounting and got thrown, you know, nearly got threatened to be thrown off an airplane by the CEO of GE. And you have, but you're trying to make it interesting. You know, you're trying to make accounting interesting. Yeah. Sorry, accountants out there. I think <laughs> you guys a lot, but I go, I work in a school that's a like a, a school for accounting, basically. I mean, it's like, it, that's its biggest school. The University of Georgia has its, you know, is that way. So I like to kind of pick on it a little bit. It's my fun little way, but it's a. Uh, I was gonna say this is the second. This is the second show in a row I've been on with you. Last time we did the the 
Kenny Lawler RSP room, you made it. You took a shot at accountants. Yeah, I like I like taking <laughs> shots at accountants. I don't know what it is because, and the irony is, is I'm probably someday I'm going to need really need an accountant, and they're going to go, yeah, you know, yeah, I, right. I listen to you. You know, I'll I'll be the one with the luck that they'll be the one accountant that actually listened to me and heard this is going, yeah, you know, right. now you're coming to me, aren't you? You love me now, don't you? So, but but yeah, so I mean, it's it's one of those things that <laughs> it is outlines can be very helpful if you're really stuck if you're really yeah. stuck i'd recommend doing one and it will get clearer but um and especially if you're doing longer pieces but if you're doing something that's that you that you are very familiar with you feel really good about a lot of that goes on in your head anyway and yeah. you need to go out there and do it but if you get well, stuck it's, it's great it's different for different people too. Some people really need that, you know, and that's fine. Like my way is not your way. Your way is not somebody else's exactly. way. It's, it's my, find your own, like find your own path. Yeah. My editor outlined still, he used to, you know, he, he, he'd write football stories and basketball stories at sports illustrated. And he had football stories over the weekend. He'd tell me stories about how, you know, he's in Manhattan with his wife and he's in his, he's about, he's about your age at that point he's like 68 now so you know this is a while back and he's like he's like you know i would tear my hair out you know on the weekends just freaking out that i'm not going to get the story in on deadline um and it's like something that i know about and love and i can't do this and it's like i'm paralyzed and then you know my wife who was a good writer and a magazine writer in her own right would be like just outline just outline it and of course he'd outline it, it would all come clear so you know that for him he lives and it does that it has worked for me on occasion where i've been stuck like that um but i generally don't do it either yeah it, for sure it's just it's different for everybody but um i want to kind of wrap up with with one more point here um and you kind of hit on it earlier about being in touch with your audience in like being you know open to like just like being open to other things like don't just be that football robot you know like and I would you know, I just kind of want you to talk a little bit how that how you do that and like especially like how it relates to the presentation of yourself on like on social media and in networking with other people because that is those two things are really important in our line of work and I know from to interject here from a little bit from myself like I think and again I'm I'm not saying this to be like look at me because I'm not you know I'm not I'm not the standard for anybody I'm not perfect but like I think one thing that one reason that I feel like I and others in, uh, in as Sigmund likes to say in our little world don't catch like as much flack from people like I don't know about you I don't get a lot of, I don't get a lot of shit on Twitter like about you know people being an asshole to me about when I was wrong about something or anything like that or or you know and it's because I think that you know, I, I also like I I talk about myself a lot, like on on you know not like myself, like look you know look, talk about myself, but like I talk about my life. You know, I post thousands of pictures of my dog. Um, I talk about what's going on in my life. Like I just had somebody visit over the weekend. I posted some pictures from that. I had you know I, I last night I was on some big rant about interpreting meaning from lyrics, and I think that that's. Uh, that's the sort of stuff that I do personally t in order to kind of, to kind of endear myself to my audience that I'm not just like some, you know, I speak in football, 140 characters at a time. And like, that's all you're going to get from me. So I kind of I just want you to talk about that concept a little bit since you mentioned it. And also it's just such an important part of what we do. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to being yourself and we all know, and we all do this. I mean, I'm not sitting here going to say that, 
I'm just totally don't cultivate anything, even though I certainly at times it looks like that I do. I joke with Sigmund that when that that my real disguise is that I actually you know leave the house clean shaven and 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 dressed fairly nicely without a cap on so no one would recognize me you know uh, uh, that's like my joke about it but but the the real thing is is that you we all want to present our best foot forward but the but um you want to be human about it and it's just like politicians you know we respond you know you we respond to people who you know outside of policy you know outside of policy which is a big driver for a lot of things but we we also find that we naturally respond to people who just seem more natural and just seem more human and more real and you and they don't seem so phony and robotic and trying to be what everyone thinks that they're supposed to be and and i think that the and you do that extremely well matt i mean i think that you you know you the things that you care about you share with people and the things that you care about that you share with people that may be also cause people to want to make fun of you or joke with you about it you take that and you use that as fodder for 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 the same things like we have this running joke about you and your hair you, you know and you have this running joke about me looking like a homeless dude with my caps <laughs> i mean it's like but it's but it it's fun because people realize that we're having fun about it and that it's that we understand that we may look different or we may have a different way of doing things but we're not trying to fit into some box that everyone thinks that you're you know that on one level you know big media wants you to you know kind of does but everyone who has a half a brain goes that's just some bs until then they have to go ahead and try and do it and then they conform to that idea immediately so for me i just I just kind of try and be myself and I don't invite negativity to a certain extent. And what that means is that, listen, you can be, you know, if, if you see someone say something negative about you or they criticize the work you do in a way that's mean, I'm not really big on retweeting what that person said and writing, Oh, or yeah. having a quote of what that person saying, you know, look, you are the stupidest analyst I've ever seen. This is a dumb mock draft, and this is this kind of thing. All I think that does is invite negativity, and all it does is invite more people, reward people to do that for you and to do more of that. Now, that may mean you're going to get more views because it's that whole Howard Stern thing where it's like, Howard Stern, you know, all the people hate him. How is he getting good ratings? Well, because 70% of the people who listen to him hate him. And those people who hate him listen to him longer than the people that like him because yeah. they want to hear what he's going to say next. Well, he's being a heel and enjoying being a heel. And he thrives off of doing that. And that's going to work for him. So if you're that kind of guy and you can live that emotional life and set, compartmentalize the fact that you're being you know, a certain way, to the public and you can be a certain way outside of that and know that when you see people in public, they're going to treat you like your public persona and you can deal with the fallout from that more power to you. But if it really bothers you that people are going to be negative to you or you don't just want to deal with that, or you don't want to have a big audience just to say you have a big audience, then you, you need to just, you need to be more natural about it and not invite that kind of thing to you. And I don't do that. I don't, I don't op I don't have open comment lines on my blog or on YouTube. 
they are all they're all approved and my rule of thumb is this if you tweet something you know if you comment something that is criticism of my work and it's criticism based on saying i think you're wrong i this is why i think you're wrong or i don't like this and i this is why i tell you why i'm going to i'm going to post it i'm going to totally post it yeah. i may not agree with it but i'm going to totally post it but if you're like look douchebag I think you're a fuck <laughs> up for this and you know, you're an idiot. And I think that you're, you know, and it's the type of thing that you wouldn't say to your mother or maybe some of you would, but you wouldn't say to mm. your mother, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to post it because that invites more people to do that. And I might get more clicks. That might help my SEO. That might help all those types of things. But seriously, I want an audience of people who are actually going to feel like they can have a conversation with me because a lot of your best audience isn't going to want to talk to you, isn't going to want to comment if they have to deal with all that crap. And yeah. then that's what they're going to have responded back to them. So if you have five people who comment on a post and they're meaningful comments, to me, that's worth way more than 50. That's just a trash heap. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And, and just not, yeah, not in, it's not that we're afraid of, of people, calling i mean i don't really care if people are mean to me like it's not it's, it's i wouldn't be like, saying i wouldn't be saying teddy bridgewater dropped in the draft two years ago because he was black and that right. the, and that people didn't uh you know that owners wanted someone who could speak at a racist country club um at their luncheon you know because i wasn't because i believed in what i said and if someone's going to criticize me for that and they hate that fine if they think i'm wrong and they say I think that you're overplaying that. I think that that was, you know, I think that, that it was X, Y, and Z. Fine, I understand that. But I'm, I'm not going to shy away some, some, from something that I believe. But at the same time, if I write, I think Kirk Cousins, you know, I think Kirk Cousins shies away or tries to step into, doesn't step into throws in the pocket and he waits for throws to come in and he gets hit and he, he doesn't see a, a, you know, he's he's a smaller arm dude who doesn't, pass up big armed opportunities and someone doesn't like that, um, you know, and starts, you know, calling me names and there's no substance to what actually they're criticizing about because they're, all they're doing is venting their anger. I'm like, you know, go see a therapist or something, go get some, go get some anger therapy, go to the gym and hit a big bag. You know, you can take a picture of my, of my article and beat the crap out of it for all I care. <laughs> that's great. If that makes you better, but no, I'm not going to post that on my blog when I might have someone else who goes, I totally disagree with you. I don't think it's good analysis and here's why that I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to post that. That's great. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so I think we're going to, we're going to probably wrap it here. I think we've, we've, unless there's anything else you want to, you want to <laughs> shout before we leave. Um, I think that this was, yeah, I think this was really good stuff. Uh, Waldman, you brought a, a, a tremendous uh, perspective today, especially kind of, I like, I know, I know that you wanted to be kind of an antithesis a little bit to what Sigmund was. And, and I think that was a really good, a really good uh, way to do that. Talked a little bit more about the grit and like the, like how sometimes you got to wade through a lot of garbage and, and, and it's hard work to, to do, to do this. And, it, and I think some people might, you know, if you listen to this and you feel discouraged or whatever, that's not, I don't think that's the intention. It's to be this episode, I think really encapsulates the wide range of, of what this is, like what this is all about, like having that passion, but also being willing to fail 
and knowing that, that it, it might not always be easy. And But nothing, I, I mean, nothing good is easy. No, I don't think anyone will be really discouraged by this because if you're really, the, the way I look at it is this, is that you need to understand the reality of the situation. Yeah. And we don't talk about all that all a lot. I mean, you know, Bloom likes to do the Pied Piper thing and he does a very good job of that. And that's very important. It's very inspirational, and that's something that is what gets you started along that road. But if you think that Bloom is all rainbows and unicorns when it comes to doing the work that he does and the kind of work that he does, then it goes back to my original point. And I've had this with other people who look at my work and do the same thing, is it's not all rainbows and unicorns, but if it makes it look that way to you, that like, wow, you're living the life, wow, that I wish I could do that, yeah. wow, this is awesome, then we're doing something right because ultimately what you're trying to do is make it look easy and make it look fun um, yeah. and, and inspire people. And, and it just, it's just like anything else, though, the duck's paddling furiously under the water. I, I was going to say that I think that people, that if this really is their, their destiny or whatever, like this is what they should be doing and they really, really want this, I think that, that it will be encouraging and inspiring in some way to hear to people that work really hard at this and, and talk about that and, and be like, man, now I know that's what I need to do. And now yeah. I need to just go do it. I mean, when you have to make a schedule with your wife to hang out and watch a movie. Yeah. You know, and you're, and you know, again, that's another thing. If you're older and wanting to do this, you better have the right family environment around you that is supportive True. of this. I can't even, I can't even go into, I, I won't even go into how I'm thankful and, and grateful I am that I have the wife and family and daughter that I do in this situation. I mean, th that would take, that would take longer than what I've done with all of this. So, yeah. but I will say to you is that the people we're speaking to, the people who are going to really, who are going to really get this are the folks who are discouraged and who are, who are actually at a low point with this because they're going to do one of two things. They're going to go, wow, here's some people doing some things that we'd like to, that I'd like to do. And they've gone through it and they know it. I can do this. I can keep going. And I, and I can accept the fact that what I'm thinking isn't making me a loser or making me feel like that I'm not worthy of doing this. It makes it worthwhile. Or the other people who go, you know what, man, this gives me clarity that I know that I don't want to do this and I'm okay with that. I'm finally at peace. Uh, we've all had those moments. And I think that a show, I, that's why I wanted to talk about this stuff because we're in the golden age of this, of this, you know, of this era. But at the same time, you know, the way we talked about the pay tiers, you know, it's, we're on you, we're an unusual middle class of writers, I would say, you, you know. So, and I think that people need to understand that there is, there are the people at ESPN who make six figures probably, you know, in some regards or close to it. There are people who make a, you know, a middle-class income and have worked very hard to get there. And there are people who can take their kids out to eat and maybe buy something really cool um, in the same way that some people get a tax refund and can do something to, to help out their house or do something like that at the end of the year. And, and then there are people who do it just for free yeah. and who do unbelievable work. So you, you know, you need to understand that type of thing and, and, and kind of get the, get the, the gist of it and not have any illusions about it. And I think that if this helps those of you who've, who've kind of been thinking about this to see what the landscape is about, then, then we've done our job. 
Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. <laughs> uh, so anyways, I think we'll, like I said, we'll wrap it up here. So Walden, again, I want to thank you for coming on. This was great. Uh, thanks for everybody that listened and I hope you learned something today.